Well, <clears throat> excuse me. We are going to be continuing in our series on the book of 1 Corinthians. Normally, we do a focus on Palm Sunday, but as you will see, this passage aligns very well with Holy Week. We do remember that the crowds shouted, Hosanna, and later they shouted, Crucify Him. Let us pray. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will fall fresh upon us this morning. That as we open up your word, that we will be convinced and convicted of our need for you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will enliven the word of God, not just for information, but for transformation. In your name, amen and amen. Well, I often share stories of my weak moments in life. Last week, I talked about my arrogance as a 19-year-old. Uh, as I moved into later in life, I continued to struggle with the same thing. I remember as a youth pastor, I was probably 20, 23 years old, we would always take our students to the district conference for Metro District, and that was uh, at Lake Champion. Some of you may have ever you know, been to Lake Champion before, but every year we would take these students to Lake Champion, and there would be a great worship team, and there would be and a phenomenal speaker, and all the kids would love the band, and they would love the speaker, and at the end of the time, they'd go up and get selfies. It was the beginning of selfies, by the way. They would get selfies with the band and with the speaker, and they would be so excited, and they'd be like, how awesome it was, and you know, as a youth pastor, I'm, they, these guys would say the same thing I was saying all year long. I'm like, really? I mean, I said that last week, and you guys act like God told you something new. But I, I had this desire to be that person on stage, this wanting to be that person who would get to speak and, and have kids just like, yeah! Well, I grew a little bit. And after we moved from New York to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I got a call from a friend and he said, hey, would you be willing to speak at Lake Champion? Wasn't even a question. I don't think I even asked Hillary. I said yes. <laughs> right? And when I got there in the first year, I, I was able to do so for two years. In the first year, I still had a little bit of that, that youth pastor desiring the stage in me. But God did something the following year within me that was, it was, it was incredible. I went to speak a second year in a row, and the Holy Spirit fell on these kids, and God was transforming their lives. We were talking about shame, and we were talking about healing from all of that, and these kids, many came to Christ, and God did some great stuff. And at the end of the weekend, the kids were all going up to the band and getting selfies and excited about the band. And I sat back. I was by myself. No one came. For a selfie with me and in that moment I wasn't upset in that moment I heard the Holy Spirit say which sometimes he speaks to me this way right to my mind and he said son you have arrived it's no longer about you it's about me Whew. man that was a good word for my soul and I think as we will see in this passage Paul is consistently trying to get the Corinthians to see that the gospel is not about Paul. The gospel and the preaching thereof is not about the Corinthians. 
It's not about making them more popular or more famous. It's not about making Paul feel good about himself. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone. And you'll hear that phrase come up over and over again as we look at these passages. The Corinthians forgot the centrality of the gospel, and that is Christ. At the very center of the truth that God has given from Old Testament to New Testament, we find Jesus as the cornerstone. There is no gospel without Christ. There's no proclamation without the Spirit and no plan without the Father. We see the triune God in the fullness of the gospel. And Paul, in a, in a moment here, he takes an aside from some of the things he was talking about, and he shares with them the importance of what proclamation of the gospel should look like. He gives this instance of what powerful proclamation is. And you might say, well, I'm not a preacher or a teacher. Why would I want, need to know what, how I can you know, preach and teach and proclaim the gospel with power? Well, we are all believers, and we all, those of us who are believers, are called to go on mission to proclaim the gospel with our lives and with our mouths. But it also gives us the ability to discern what is and what is not from God. And so as we look at this short passage, we will answer the question, what is powerful biblical proclamation? You'll see that the very beginning of our vision statement as a church is that we aspire to proclaim the gospel. This is something that as a church we are passionate about. So what is <clears throat> powerful biblical proclamation? If you have your Bible, please turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, it'll also be on the screen for you. The word of the Lord. And I, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The word of the Lord. Paul here is explaining to them what powerful biblical proclamation, preaching and teaching should be about. He gives, he gives us, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> he gives to us these realities. There are five of them that he gives in this teaching. And the first reality of biblical and powerful proclamation is the reality of rejection. Because powerful proclamation rejects self-reliance and self-centeredness. Powerful proclamation rejects self-reliance and self-centeredness. As we have established in the last couple of weeks, the church in Corinth was all about wisdom, all about these great new philosophies, trying to find the new, the best, the greatest teacher that was proclaiming philosophy in the Corinthian city. And so this was the cultural peace that then integrated itself into the church. 
If you remember, there was this celebration of, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Jesus. And there was this arrogant stance of, whoever my teacher is, that means I'm better than everyone else. This idea of philosophizing wisdom, important who I am, reality invaded the church. And Paul here begins with a discussion that he did not proclaim himself to be wise or a strong philosopher. He didn't even utilize that mind that God had given him when he proclaimed the truth to the Corinthians. Because Paul is wicked smart. Paul is a wise guy. He had all kinds of big words that he could have utilized, but he knew that it would distract from the gospel in the city of Corinth. And so he rejected himself in that way. He did not rely upon his own brain. He relied upon the Holy Spirit. He did not make himself the center of the teaching and preaching. He made Jesus the center of the preaching and teaching. Gordon Fee says this, Not only the means, which is the cross, and the people, the church in Corinth, but also the preacher Paul, declare that God is in the process of overturning the world's systems. The culture that the Corinthians found themselves in, the cross flips it all around. As believers, we are countercultural. We're countercultural. The world wants to say it's all about you, but the Bible says it's all about Christ and others. That we are to put ourselves in that equation last rather than first. The gospel to the world doesn't make sense because it seems to be foolish. Why would you, you know, why would you give someone your, your clothes if they steal your shirt? Why would you give someone money when they steal something from you? Why would you bless someone who curses you? It doesn't make sense. But it's about Christ, not about Paul, not about the Corinthian church. It's countercultural. Fee continues, he says, in every possible way, Paul has tried to show them the folly of their present fascination with wisdom, which has inherited within it the folly of self-sufficiency and self-congratulation. Even the preacher whom God used to bring them to faith had to reject self-reliance. One of the things I don't understand when I study pastors in ministry, there's, there's all kinds of statistics that kind of show up when uh, pastors are, are being researched. And one of the research about pastors that I've discovered is that when it comes to their own devotional life, predominantly a large proportion of them only spend five minutes a day in their Bible or prayer. Now, the average Christian only spends two, so there's three extra minutes a day there. Yeah, pat yourself on the back, pastors. <laughs> but what that shares with me is that these guys are relying upon themselves to preach and teach the gospel. A lot of my friends, which surprises me, they spend Saturday night writing their sermon so they can preach it on Sunday morning. To me, that's... You're not soaking in it. If I were to do that, I would just be jumping into my own gifts rather than reliance upon the Holy Spirit, which I seek to do often. I don't often succeed all the time. 
But it shocks me that it becomes about the person and not about the message. Paul is saying that I can't rely upon myself and my wisdom in proclaiming the truth of the gospel to you, Corinthians. It wasn't about me at all. I tried to focus on Christ. Gospel proclamation that has power points to the message, not the messenger. Garland, another commentator, said the gospel always points beyond humans to God and Christ and becomes garbled whenever humans exploit it instead of headline, they instead headline themselves as its star. Paul's purpose was simply to give witness to the gospel message. And witnesses need only give their account in plain, simple language. Everything was to focus on the one preached rather than on the preacher. In our lives, is it about Christ or is it about us? Clearly here he's talking about proclaiming the gospel, preaching and teaching the truth of the gospel to people. But when you preach and teach the gospel to yourself, are you preaching Christ or are you preaching yourself? When you experience teaching that blows your mind, are you going away and saying, wow, that guy was really smart? Or are you saying Christ is so good? My hope and my prayer is that whenever I get up to preach and teach anywhere that I am, I go back to that moment in Lake Champion where God said you have arrived. I pray that that's the case every time. Because I want Christ to be lifted high. I desire for him to be raised. And as you leave this place, don't think, wow, Marv's so good, but think, wow, Christ is so good. That is how we are to focus. That is how we are to see life. Because if we proclaim the gospel and it points to us, if when we bring a message, it points to man, that is a weak message. But if it points to Christ, it is a powerful message. Paul is trying to get them to see again and again that it's not about anything or anyone else. It's about Christ and Christ alone. The second reality is that of crucifixion. Because powerful proclamation points directly to Christ and his crucifixion. Look at what Paul said. In verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He was consistently going back to the cross when he preached to the Corinthians. Why? Because one of the things that was often said in Corinth that people would say is that the cross is foolishness. It makes no sense. Your God is dead <laughs> and he's saying let's go back to the foolishness let's go back to what doesn't make any sense because Christ's death means everything and because he rose again from the grave it proves the cross is right everything Jesus said about himself and about his death is right so Paul is bringing them back to the main thing. Have you ever heard that phrase, keep the main thing, the main thing? That's what he was trying to do, pointing them back 
to the cross. But it's not like Paul was in, you know, kind of slow or didn't know other things. I like what Fee says when he says, To know nothing does not mean that he left all other knowledge aside, but rather that he had the gospel with its crucified Messiah as his singular focus and passion while he was among them. He was passionate about the cross, passionate about the Lord's Supper. As we'll see later in 1 Corinthians, he talks specifically about the table of the Lord. And he says, man, you guys are totally not doing it right because you're focusing on yourselves. You're focusing on the food and you're missing Christ. The Corinthians messed up a lot when it came to focusing on Christ. Now, it's interesting. We, we can see in Scripture that not all passages talk about Christ right there. Not all of these exegetical passages that we will unpack point directly to the cross every time. But when we hear the message preached from the passages in Scripture, we should always go back to this truth, that none of this is possible without the cross. One of the things we did at our church plant at the University of Pittsburgh was we had communion every Sunday after service. And we did that because we wanted to remind the college students that the only reason you can live the gospel life which you are called to is because of Christ's body and blood. It became a powerful time where students were consistently reminded of that truth of the crucifixion. And it challenged and changed many lives. The message of the cross cannot be philosophized or made into some nice wisdom philosophy because the cross is not flashy, cool, hip, or sexy. It is foolish, crass, and horrifying, yet saving. The cross, when you really think about it, it is horrific. It is painful. It is not one of those easy things. But we often just say, oh yeah, the cross. But we need to dwell upon the pain, the horrific nature of the cross. Crucifixion, that word has been transformed into excruciating. When you use the word excruciating, it goes back to crucifixion. That's how painful the cross was excruciating. It developed a whole new word of understanding pain. The, the cross is foolish, but it's saving. The third reality is that of weakness. Powerful proclamation embraces human weakness and Christ's power. Powerful proclamation embraces human weakness and Christ's power. Here we see Paul talking about his own weakness. Later in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, we will see him say, But he said to me, that is God, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul constantly reminded the Corinthian church of his own weaknesses. 
That doesn't show up in many of the other epistles, but there was a specific reason he was doing it to the, for the Corinthians. He was saying, I am weak. I can't do this in my own power. Stop trying to do this in your own power. And Paul I'm sure he wrestled with his weakness. He wanted to overcome it. He wanted to push through it. He wanted to show that he was Paul the Apostle. But he couldn't get past this weakness. He couldn't get past whatever it was. Many believe that he had a specific sickness. Many believe that maybe in this aspect in 1 Corinthians, when he's talking about weakness, it was his awe of God, and he just couldn't do anything but proclaim the gospel. But we see throughout Scripture, Paul talks about the thorn in his side and the weaknesses that he's had, and the majority of that shows up with his letters to the Corinthians. It's okay that you and I have weaknesses that we need to rely upon the power of God for. I believe that Paul needed this weakness for the sake of humility. I think Paul wrestled with pride himself. I do believe that was one of the things that he wrestled with because of his previous life before he came to Christ. He was the bee's knees. He was the best of the best. But God brought him low and he admits his need for the power of Christ. It's one of the reasons why I often share my own weaknesses, where I often share my own mess, how I've messed things up. Because we need to hear that people mess up, especially people who are on a stage. We can make it all about us and say, I've never messed up. Let me tell you all the great stories of everything I've done. And that's not helpful. It's important that we share our weaknesses, admit that we are weak and need the power of Christ. We need the power of Christ. Fee says this, For him there was a genuine correspondence between his own personal weakness and the gospel. At the heart of his preaching stood the weakness of God, Verse 125, the story of a crucified Messiah, his own weaknesses served as a further visible demonstration of the same message, but even more to demonstrate that the message was of divine, not human origin. Saying it's not about me, I didn't come up with this stuff. God brought this forward. God's power is what has put this message forward. It's not about Paul. Powerful proclamation happens when we let him use us to spite us. How many times have you been in a position where someone asks you about the gospel, the, the reason why you live the way you live, and you're like, oh man, in your head, I don't, I don't know how to answer any questions. I, I haven't read any apologetics books. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not good. I'm going to tell him about my pastor and, gi- and give him my pastor's phone number because I'm not good enough to do it. But here Paul's saying, listen, we can all proclaim the gospel. The same Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you if you are a believer. You do not have to step back and say, I'm so weak, I can't do it. You can say, I'm so weak, I need him. Because he can use you despite you. Listen, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. And we need him. In every moment. Every hour, when we admit our weaknesses, but yet allow Him to use us in His power. 
The truth of the gospel is proclaimed. It's a beautiful thing when Christ gives you the words to speak and you see life transformation in those people that you're declaring this thing to and then you leave and you're like, oh, where did that come from? That was really smart. I'm not that smart. I say that all the time. <laughs> I'm not that smart. <laughs> Powerful proclamation happens when we let him use us despite us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. The fourth reality of true biblical powerful proclamation is this. The <coughs> excuse me, the reality of power. Powerful proclamation surrenders to the power of the Holy Spirit. Powerful proclamation surrenders to the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom but in demonstra demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When we admit our weaknesses, when we allow the Lord to use us despite us, we step back and allow the truth of the gospel to step forward. You and I, we need the Holy Spirit every moment of every day. The Holy Spirit who wrote the Word of God is within us to make the Word of God make sense. We see this in Luke 12, 12, that He will give us the words to say, and that in John 16, that whole passage, He gives a great ex explanation of the importance of Him leaving and the Holy Spirit coming. We cannot live the gospel life without the Holy Spirit. We cannot live or proclaim the gospel without the Holy Spirit. Too often we try to arrest control and do things on our own. And when we walk in the flesh, we always make a mess. Always. You and I desperately need to surrender and rely upon the Holy Spirit and stop doing it on our own. I think that so often we talk very little about the Holy Spirit and often preaching is all about the things that you need to do. You need to go do these things, go do these things, go do these things. But we can't do them without the Holy Spirit. And so we guilt people, shame people because they realize, man, I can't do what, what th this is telling me to do. This book tells me I need to be doing all these things, but I, I can't do them. That's because we're not taught enough about surrender to the Holy Spirit. Powerful proclamation surrenders to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit can make the gospel make sense to the human heart, and only the Spirit can bring conviction. We see that in John 16, 9 and 11. Only the Spirit could give Paul the words to say. The same Holy Spirit that gave Paul the words to say lives in you. Powerful proclamation is proven through the transformation of a life, not information to the mind. The transformation of a life, not information to the mind. We can know everything in the Bible. You can memorize scripture after scripture after scripture, but if it doesn't transform and change your life, you're missing out. Because it's not just about our mind, it's about transformation. Too often we try, to, we try to stuff our lives with just information. 
Rather than pausing and saying, Lord, I need this word to bring transformation. And we could sound really good at a Bible study where we can regurgitate all these things, but if our lives don't tell a different story, then we're not allowing it to go deeply into our soul. It's the same thing when people on a Sunday, you know, we look at some charismatic or Pentecostal churches where they go up front and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and all kinds of stuff happens in those churches, but yet they go back on Monday and they act like the same person they were before. When we encounter the Word of God, when we encounter the Holy Spirit, we should not be the same the next day. The gospel transforms our lives powerful proclamation is proven through the transformation of a life not just information to the mind when hearts are changed we can see the activity of the spirit minds can be changed and then changed back only when the heart yields to the work of the spirit is there new life the fifth reality is that of faith powerful proclamation leads to faith in the lord not in man or human wisdom. Not in man or human wisdom. He ends in verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The reason why he preached the way he preached to the Corinthian church was because he desired to see their faith in God's power, in the truth of the gospel not in the wisdom of man. He knew the cultural reality of the Corinthian church and chose to proclaim the truth in a way that would point to Christ and not to himself. We'll see in other areas of Paul's life, like Mars Hill, he utilizes philosophy and stories and history to point to Christ. But here he's saying it's not about human wisdom. It's about Christ in Christ alone. Let me leave you with this quick story that Warren Wearsby gives, and I, I, I love it because I think it's an important story that we can all uh, understand. He said, A certain church had a beautiful stained glass window just behind the pulpit. It depicted Jesus Christ on the cross. One Sunday there was a guest minister who was much smaller than the regular pastor. A little girl listened to the guest for a time and then turned to her mother and asked, where's the man who usually stands there so we can't see Jesus? <laughs> Whoa. Our lives should demonstrate and display Jesus Christ. We should live the gospel life. But listen, that's just the what. How is through the power of the Holy Spirit. If I gave you just the what, you'd walk away wondering, <laughs> how can I do that? But Paul makes it plain that it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not in the power of Paul, not in the power of me, not in the power of you, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. So let me challenge you to live your life pointing others to faith in Christ and Him crucified. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the conviction that You bring to me 
and to us. I pray, Father, that whether we are preachers or teachers or those who are discerning biblical, powerful proclamation, that we will see these five realities and attach them to our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will fill us with the ability to proclaim your gospel with our lives and with our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen.